0: Ukrainian President Zelensky is in Washington, D.C., meeting with Congress and President Biden to secure tens of billions of dollars in additional funding to keep the war with Russia grinding on. As life gets harder and harder for working people in the United States and as the bodies keep piling up in Ukraine, The politicians top priority is more money for the war machine. But President Biden's plans have run into trouble. We need a new system. We need a new society. We need to demand that which may have sounded impossible even a few weeks ago, but is not only realizable, but an imperative necessity. We are excited to have Professor Richard Wolff join us for a regular weekly segment where we talk about the biggest stories related to the economy, the state of the working class, and the crimes of big business. I'm your host, Brian Becker. The Socialist Program brings you content several days a week thanks to the support of our patrons at patreon.com forward slash the socialist program. We appreciate all of your support and encourage you, if you're not yet, to become a patron today. Richard Wolf is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work. He's the author of many books, the latest being the sickness is the system when capitalism fails to save us from pandemics or itself. You can check out all of his work at rdwolf.com. That's rdwolf Professor Wolf, welcome back. Thank you, Brian. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. I mean, we have a situation, Richard, where the United States is basically... Involved in a proxy war on the side of Israel against the people of Gaza. That's been going on since October 7th. The war in Ukraine has been going on officially since the Russian invasion, which was February 24th, 2022. One might say that the U.S. has been actually involved in a proxy war since the U.S. supported Uh, Right-wing coup d'etat that toppled a neutral government in Ukraine in 2014, a government that opposed Ukraine entering NATO. But my point is, the U.S. is deeply engaged, even if it's not U.S. troops doing the fighting, or at least most of the fighting, not doing the dying, the suffering, not being killed and, and killing, having other forces do it. But behind the scenes, these are really U.S. wars because the U.S. is financing these wars Now, there is resistance in the U.S. Congress by mainly right-wing Republicans. There are a few others who are not right-wing Republicans, but mainly it's the right-wing that is blocking Biden's plan to send tens of billions of dollars more to Ukraine. Their argument is the U.S. should deploy the U.S. military to fight immigrants at the U.S.-Mexican border. Again, it's not a demilitarization plan. It's just a redeployment plan on the part of the right-wing Republicans. All of that said, Richard, what we want to focus on today is the United States is and seems to be ever since the end of World War II in one war after another. Some of them are direct wars. Some of them are proxy wars. But the U.S. military machine, what we call the military industrial complex, functions day in and day out as if the country was at war, like World War II. It's... It's not a demobilized military. It's not a demobilized military spending. There's not conversion after a war from military production to civilian production. This is a non-stop phenomena in American capitalism. And how much of a factor do you think it is in the calculations for you know foreign policy and military spending that in addition to whatever noble goal the U.S. assigns this or that war effort Behind the scenes, there is this element of the desire to subsidize and stabilize capitalism vis-a-vis the pretext of defense. Anyway, I want to get your impressions, your thoughts, your feelings about how important that is, generally speaking, for the capitalist economy in this country.
1: Okay, let me get at it as follows. About 30, 40 years ago, An American economist named Harry Magdoff, M-A-G-D-O-F-F, wrote a famous article, and he showed in that article that if you take a look at American history, say going back to the American Revolution, so to the beginnings of the United States as a separate independent nation, it was the case— that one or another kind of warfare was going on all the time. Magdorff's point in his famous article was that a great deal of research in economics looks at trends during peacetime, treats warfare as an exception, as when you don't worry about the statistics because they're not showing trends, because they're interrupted by the phenomena of war. And the irony that Magdoff underscored was that war is the norm. Peace is the exceptional situation in American history. It's a country, after all, as Magdoff points out, tongue-in-cheek, but then again, not so much, that it's a country born in warfare, that the first centuries of U.S. history are a continuous on-again warfare against the indigenous people that were found here by the Europeans who colonized the place. Then there were the wars they fought amongst each other, the Dutch against the French, the British against the Dutch and the French, and so on. Then there were the wars between an independent United States and other countries, war with Spain to pick up Puerto Rico, wars with Mexico to annex large parts of that part of the world. Just warfare is on and on. It's a feature of American life. Then after World War II, when warfare becomes enormous, And that's really World Wars I and II in the last century, in the 20th century, that made the American war machine into a real powerhouse that was partly because the United States by then was one of the richest countries in the world and could afford it. It was partly because the United States had then, by the time of the First World War, acquired its own colonial territories, particularly in Central America, but throughout the Western Hemisphere, and so needed a military to patrol, to guard what it had, and partly because it was becoming a a competitive colonialism vis-a-vis the British Empire, against whom it had fought a war to become independent. Magdoff's point, which I want to reestablish here, is that warfare has been a norm in american history and when the war wars became huge world wars 1 and 2 so too did the american war machine and when it became huge something changed it became a staple a foundation of the economy as a whole the sheer size of the budget of the defense so-called defense department became a factor in the overall economy. The millions of people on the payroll of the military became a factor in the economy. So you had, in a way, a new foundation for the military activity, which was not the foreign threat, not the foreign competition, not the indigenous people being displaced from their homes. No, now a new support for military activity was the fact that economic well-being, employment, jobs, the overall health of the economy were also dependent on a military budget. And a military budget, if it's going to play all these roles, needs lots of money. That means it has to go to the government to get the money. That means it better have political support so that the government gives it the money it needs to keep the defense apparatus going. You can see how it slowly evolves into a fundamental support for the overall American economy. So the answer to your question is that the history of U.S. capitalism has made it now dependent on the warfare in order to justify the expenditure, in order to maintain the military, in order to support the military's foundational relationship to the economy as a whole. The integration of military activity—warfare, buildups, budgets, the integration of all of that with U.S. capitalism is so intense that the United States has become the military power par excellence. And the way you see that is not only by adding up our missiles and all the rest of it, but the United States maintains 800, roughly 800 military bases around the world. It engages in a endless list of activities in many of those 800 military bases, in many of those countries that number nearly a hundred, if I have my accounts correct, where these military bases are loaded, interfering in those countries' economies and politics and ideology. No other country on earth has anything like such A list of foreign bases. Russia doesn't, China doesn't, I mean nothing comparable at all. That's why you get that remarkable statistic uh, maintained by, if I'm correct in this, Brown University, which has an institute for the study of war and the costs of war, monitoring all of this. It has a famous table that shows that the United States Officially spends more money on military activity than the next nine top spending countries in the world combined. And that nine others includes Russia and China. All the rest of them are allies of the United States. And so the overwhelming role of military is literally a foundation for saying the following. There's always a war either going on or around the corner or being stimulated. And those that are right now on the front burner Ukraine, Gaza, and then lesser conflicts around the world at various stages from incipient to already red hot that's par for the course here in the United States. And it takes an enormous portion of our revenue as a nation, of our productivity as a nation, to support all of this. And that is money, as all Americans know, whether they admit it or not, money that could be spent on supporting the U.S. economy in all kinds of different ways. You don't need the military to support the economy. You need the spending that now goes to the military. But if that spending were used to radically alter the relationship of the United States to its environment, greening of America, it used to be called, it could have the same supportive function for the rest of the economy. If it were used to finally give us the education system we need for the future, rather than the one we have, that kind of overhaul of our educational system could indeed provide the support, etc., etc. There are other ways of organizing our economy. The fear that you're supposed to have That if we didn't have the military, everything fall apart, that's a fear that is irrational, not sustained by any economic logic. It is the fear cultivated by those who want to keep the defense industry in the absolutely dominant position it has arrived at, given American history.
0: Richard, I want to talk about what the actual size of the defense budget is in 2023 the biden administration submitted to congress a proposed fiscal year 2024 budget request for 842 billion dollars for the department of defense dod that's an increase of 26 billion dollars over the fiscal year 2023 so 26 billion so we have 52 weeks in the year. So 26 billion means a billion dollar increase every two weeks. And just for our audience, a billion is a thousand millions. So every week, the U.S. would be increasing the Department of Defense budget by $500 million, $500 million. Now, I saw Karina Garcia, one of the socialist independent third party candidates running in the 2024 election, she made an Instagram post about how women, infant, children, the WIC program, which is a childhood nutrition program, essentially is being slashed because of a $1.2 billion deficit. They lack $1.2 billion. So cutting thousands of moms, low-income families, mainly women and their kids off of this nutrition program, because there's a budget shortfall of 1.2 billion. And the U.S. is gonna spend that much every 16 days as an increase on top of the already bloated military budget of $842 billion. That's a $26 billion increase. Now, you mentioned Harry Magdoff. Harry Magdoff, an important Marxist writer, he wrote for Monthly Review, among other publications. Monthly Review, last month, Richard, issued a really important article, and I want to draw people's attention to it. It's authored by Gisela Cernatis and John Bellamy Foster. Here's the headline. Actual U.S. military spending reached $1.537 trillion in 2022 more than twice acknowledged level, new estimates based on U.S. national accounts. So they've used a new methodology or a methodology that is relatively new to examine the entire U.S. budget because lots of parts of the military spending are hidden either in the Department of Energy or other agencies outside of the Department of Defense. So if it's not in the Defense Department, formerly known as the War Department, but the Defense Department, it's not considered defense spending, but it's military spending nonetheless. When you look at these numbers, a $26 billion increase, $842 billion official request, if monthly review is right, that the real numbers actually double what the U.S. says they're spending. And then you have working class families being cut because there's not enough money for child care centers. We talked about that in another show with you that 70,000 childcare centers are slated to be closed because of the loss of federal funding. Now the WIC program, when you look at the whole thing and you know the right wing says, oh, it's, we have to get rid of the welfare state. It's a warfare state. I mean, it's a welfare for capitalist America in that sense, but it's a warfare state, but the numbers are staggering, Richard, staggering.
1: Yeah, let me draw another kind of parallel since in a way you're doing that also. The military have a lock on the American economy. It is like a monopoly in economics. It, it is the only game in town. We do not allow competing armies to get our attention and our support. They are given a total monopoly. The only competition is among you know, the army versus the navy and so forth. And that, by the way, exists but the military have an absolute monopoly. In many years, the president asks for an increase and the Congress gives the military a larger increase than the president requests. It's almost like a competition between the president and the Congress for who's going to give more money to the military. Now, why is that? because the military have not been stupid. They have arranged that military bases and the companies that provide services and goods to the military and depend on the military for their profits are located strategically around the country. So in every congressional district, in every senator's state, there are built-in supports because the people there are told, you want to hold your job in this company that makes bombs? Well, we better support the government's defense budget, otherwise they won't buy the bombs, and then your company won't keep you working making those bombs. Communities are told, you better support the military budget because that's what keeps the military base 20 miles out of town. And those soldiers come into town and they, you know, go to the restaurants and they patronize local businesses and on and on. You can see the logic here. So we now have a society that has been built up. That's why I did the history, has been built up to have a very closely developed society intersection. And here's the parallel. It's the medical industrial complex, not just the military. The medical have done the same thing. Four industries got together, like the four branches of the military, Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines. They've gotten together to get that money, which they then fight over, but to get that money to come in to DOD or the other agencies that are involved. In the case of medical, here's the parallel. The doctors, that's one industry. The hospitals, that's a second. Medical insurance companies, that's a third. And then the drug and medical device makers, that's the fourth. Those four have gotten together and made sure that the economy services them. And here's how it does it. It makes the price of medical care, health care in the United States, the highest in the world, just like the military industrial complex has made their budget the highest in the world, way higher than most of the others. It's out of control. They've been able to make sure that no government agency impinges on them that the government agencies that are related to health care have been captured by these four industries so that they make sure that Medicaid and Medicare pay out all of our tax dollars to keep them able to charge privately the monies that they do and to make private profits out of it. So you have these two carefully constructed monopolies. It's famous in the history of the medical monopoly that they have doctors, right, everywhere in every small community that can be the bearers and promoters of the ideology, that any attempt to control that is socialized medicine or some other scary reference point to keep people away from changing what has been a really sweet arrangement for these two. When Eisenhower coined the phrase military-industrial complex, he was already telling us back in the 1950s, over half a century ago, what has only become a deeper embedded problem than it was under President Eisenhower, who surely knew what he talked about since he was the highest military official and then the highest civilian official in the United States, literally presiding over that military-industrial complex. But now we know that the medical profession followed suit, did the same thing And that's why we have this parallel, odd oppression of the mass of people, an enormously costly military apparatus out of control and out of the realm of everybody else, and an overpriced medical care. And here's the ironic result. The medical quality of the American life is mediocre. We have poor medical results, a lower length of life than in many other countries that don't charge anything like what our medical profession does. And again, that out-of-control parallel with the military, a level of military that dwarfs Russia's and China's and that of, you know, the next eight countries behind them and so on. It is out-of-control, and what are the military revealing to us? We've lost the wars, friends. The Vietnam War, the Afghan War, the Iraq War, and now the Ukraine War. Let's be real clear. We lost those wars. We didn't win them. We're not in a good position. The decision to fight that war in Ukraine was based on really sloppy calculations. We were told at the beginning, let's remember, that Russia would fall to its knees, it couldn't survive, the Russian ruble would disintegrate. Now, those are smart people that run our government and our military. So you have to ask the question, why would smart people make mistakes like that? The Russian economy is in better shape today than it was when this Ukraine war began, and the ruble likewise. None of that happened. That's why the war is being lost. Look, these decisions were sloppy because we have an overfunded military that doesn't have to demonstrate its capacity, that doesn't have to prove anything. It's taken care of that. Just like the medical outcomes are mediocre when you look at the outcome and the health of the average American. We don't hold our medical industrial complex to account. We don't say, as we might, we're not going to give that kind of money to a medical system that produces that much poorer results than you get in many other countries who spend less per person, much less on health care than we do, and ditto for the military. An accounting is coming because this is so out of control and so out of proportion. Believe me, an accounting is coming. The only question is how and how long do we have to wait? Richard. When capitalists
0: start the production process going, they buy a factory, build a factory, rent land, own land. They obtain machinery. They obtain raw materials. They hire labor. They have what are generally called the costs of production. And then the working class, the people who come and staff that factory or whatever the enterprise is, they make products that are then sold in the marketplace. And the goal of the capitalists is to sell them at a higher level than their costs of production, including the costs of labor, the cost of wages. And so the difference between their costs of production and the money they realize at the time of sale of a commodity is their profit, their surplus value. And generally speaking, And the mythology, certainly, about capitalist production is that the capitalists, even though they don't do any of the work, they took the risk, they invested, they had sort of uncertainty about whether the product would sell. It had to be good enough, it had to be cheap enough, competitive enough in order for the consumer to make the ultimate decision, do they want to buy the product from this company or that company? And so the consumer, according to this mythology, is the ultimate decider about the winners and losers in the capitalist marketplace. Now, aside from all of the the elements of monopoly that we have talked about with you so much and how that has distorted that, that system, there's another element when it comes to defense contracts, which is when the U.S. government signs a contract with Northrop Grumman or Lockheed Boeing or any of the big defense contractors, let's say they order MX missiles or any kind of missiles or tanks or guns. There's no uncertainty in that process. In other words, whether the product is the commodity is used in the course of war, or if it just sits there, or in the case of the Pentagon, you know, they failed their only five audits. They they can't account for literally trillions of dollars of purchased military equipment. It doesn't matter to the war contractors because they have a contract that guarantees that their costs of production will be covered and the profits are a percentage above the cost of production. So it's a commo- military goods are a commodity, but they're a commodity different from all other commodities in the sense that there's no competition. In other words, it's a guaranteed profit. That in my mind explains how do you get, as we've talked about over the decades, a toilet seat that was billed at $600 or these exorbitant costs because the profit from the company is made as a percentage above what the costs are. So they actually have incentive to bloat costs. Completely different from a capitalist who has to compete and have a lower cost item in order to make sure that consumers actually buy it. Anyway, this is a distinct form of capitalist production that has, I would say, a degenerating and decadent inherently decadent quality. You mentioned all the wars the U.S. lost, but none of those contractors who had these guaranteed contracts, they didn't lose, they gained. They won those wars even though the U.S. lost
1: the wars. Yeah, there's a name in economics when you have one buyer and many sellers. It's called monopsony rather than when you have one seller and many buyers. That's monopoly. But again, you're quite right. There's an endless literature that shows you how many inefficiencies can be hidden by a monopsony or a monopoly. That's, by the way, why we have laws on the books in this country outlawing these things. The laws don't work. They are not enforced. Every capitalist tries to become a monopolist when it comes time to sell what he produces, and a monopsonist when it comes time to buy what he needs as inputs to gain the advantages that go with monopsony and monopoly. So every capitalist is induced to do it. Many of them get to that point. Then they use their enormous extra monopoly profits or monopsony profits to buy the politicians so they don't enforce the laws so I can make the report to you that the laws exist and are not enforced. This is just another aspect of the same self-protective arrangement that the defense industry and the medical industrial complex have achieved. Capitalism is an engine of producing monopoly, monopsony, the profits that go with it, and the political corruption that results from it. And you, the longer you leave this system unquestioned and unchallenged, the more you're going to see these kinds of results, including the sloppy calculations that lead to lost wars, And you're right. In part, that sloppiness goes uncorrected, even when you're losing, because enough money is being made by those at the bottom that they don't really care if the Ukraine war ends this week, next week, next year before Mr the presidential election after it because they will then have the next contract when the next hot spot in the South China Sea or somewhere in Latin America explodes as it always has to sustain something that has built into it a desire to keep going for as long as the American people tolerate it
0: Richard Wolff is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work. He's the author of many books. The latest being the sickness is the system when capitalism fails to save us from pandemics or itself. Be sure to check out all of his work at rdwolf.com. That's r-d-w-o-l-f-f.com. You're listening to The Socialist Program. We'll be back tomorrow. You've been listening to The Socialist Program with Brian Becker, where we bring you news and views about the world for those who want to change it. Here we